Cars, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about a big weekend of racing. In the studio with me is my NASCAR guru, Gray Warren, my IndyCar expert, Joey Barnes, my F1 guy in the trenches, Richard Uden, and my Junior Series NASCAR expert, Seth Eggert. How is everybody doing tonight? Terrific. I'm good. We've got a big weekend of racing to talk about. Uh, IndyCar made their debut at Coda. We have the first new winner in IndyCar since 2016 and also the youngest winner in IndyCar history. So we have uh, Colton Herta taking the win there, and NASCAR was in Martinsville, and we had uh, Brad Keselowski put on a very dominating performance, uh, taking his second win of the season, the third win for Penske Racing, uh, with three different three different type tracks, three different old, Aero packages showing that Team Penske is probably going to be the early uh, team to beat this year. So, but let's um let's talk about this IndyCar race uh, now, Joey. You spent your weekend down in Austin, huh? How was it? It was awesome. Uh, it it was still kind of the pinch me moment having uh, IndyCars at a place that I've watched F1 run on for years and years. So, um, yeah, it was a really good experience. It was cool to see the quality of racing. I I thought that we had a really good show on Sunday. Um, the racing was good. The battles were were tight. Not just in IndyCar, but Indy Lights as well. And uh, you know, in the end, like you just alluded to, I mean, we got to see the youngest winner in IndyCar history with Colton Herta and. Uh, you know, it was just, it was incredible to see that kind of scene too, not just from that impact from him and his father, but also the team, because we brought in uh, George Steinbrunner the fourth as an IndyCar race winning owner. So, um, yeah, it was a great weekend. Yeah, he's also the youngest uh, Indy um, team owner to win a race as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he got, got this big youth movement here, but I mean, Colton Herta, right? This thing didn't fall into his lap. He was headed for a podium anyway. I mean, there's a few things that went his way with the yellow, and Will Power had some problems with the drivetrain. But the kid drove uh, really, you know, a heads-up approach, very mature, very um, focused. Uh, really impressed with this young kid. And, you know, a lot of the comments coming out from uh, different people, even like Alex Zanardi called him out on Twitter and and mentioned his uh maturity and his ability to go fast so um this kid's got a great career ahead of him you know i hope he's not peaking too early but uh, i mean watching him drive uh, i mean what are what are your thoughts on this young guy we knew he was great in the junior series yeah i mean this rookie class in general is ridiculous i mean the talent level from top to bottom even with a part-time driver like patricio ward who won the indy lights title last year beating colton herta uh, yeah, I mean, just the quality of talent. It would be easy to look at this rookie class and look at the IndyCar schedule and say that three of these guys could win this year. Uh, and it could be any of the three. One already did. So, um, you know, it, it's impressive uh, talking to Colton. You know, a lot of it just comes down to just his growth. I mean, there was a point in his life where he didn't necessarily know with his racecraft if this is a career path he could do. And then he goes to Europe for a little bit, runs 30-some-odd races with Carlin in the junior formula categories comes back here when, when George Steinbrenner, the fourth and uh, Michael Andretti get together to do a, a one car, well, a partnership for, for the out for the car that would uh, compile with the rest of the Andretti Autosport gang. And Colton was driving it. And in two years became runner up, won a lot of races comes into this situation. And um, I, it's just incredible. I don't think it's just his race craft. That's incredible. But also, like, in order to have what he's been able to to achieve so far, because he's got 
what, two top ten finishes now and three starts, the most recent obviously being the win in the podium. Uh, he almost got the pole, if not for maybe running an odd sequence of laps in, in the final round of qualifying, he could have very easily upset Will Power for the pole. So a lot of it I look at comes down to his feedback quality. Um, you know, he's got Nathan O'Rourke, Marco Andretti's uh, engineer, last year actually on the pit box uh, for, for Colton. So it was good to see how that has just really gelled so quickly. And I don't want to. I don't want to oversell this too much because I'm very cautious about generation drivers. And how I mean that is, you know, Graham Rahal came in and won instantly. Marco won in his first season, and Marco Andretti won in his first season. Then you look at what they've done since, and those two drivers have combined to win eight races. Which, you know, they're damn good drivers in their own right. They're very consistent, but at the same time, they're not. Will Power, Scott Dixon, they're not the enigmas that were their fathers, so to speak. Um, you know, Colton's dad was a really good driver, but maybe not necessarily an enigma. Um, so maybe Colton is that enigma um, in that respect from the from the family. So I'm very interested to see where the standard goes from here with Colton. Um, time will, will tell. I think he'll get on well at road courses, but, you know, his first oval is going to be Indy. And I, we all know that that's kind of the trick. You got to get to learn that place pretty quickly, or or it's going to be a hard one for you. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the other rookie that was uh, pretty impressive, which would be Pato Award. Now we've seen you know the Carlin team with uh, one entire season behind them with Charlie Kimball and and Chilton, and then this year. Uh, they haven't done much more, and suddenly, you know, Pato's up there running in the top ten, going, uh, you know, wheel to wheel with guys like Graham Rahal, uh, and just, you know, putting on a great show. Um, I, you know, it's it's unbelievable that uh, you know when you got guys with experience like Chilton and Kimball in there, that that they're being outshone by this uh, this young kid who's really he's up the level of that team in in my mind anyway. You know what was incredible? You talk about the Graham Rahal pass, and it had everybody's attention this weekend, I think. I mean, that's a that's a pass of the year candidate in my book. Uh, everybody was making the moves going either into turn one or into turn 12 after that long back straight, trying to trying to just outbreak somebody going into 12. Where Pato set this move up was actually going into that little bus stop section at the very first bit before the double apex right hand around the tower. So, you know, was it 17, 18? Uh, complex heading in the 19, uh, the penultimate corner. And the fact that he was able to, to pull that off in such a low speed area and get the power so quickly. And actually Graham had a, almost a full car length on the inside part of that. So for Pato to find that pace and to be able to just hang it out there on the outside of that double apex right hander was incredible. And, you know, if you can pull alongside through that, you're going to have the preferred line going into 19 like Pato did. I mean that was that was an incredibly brave move. Um, it was an awesome move, and I, I think that you know it's stuff like that that we got to see at Coda. You know, and, and later as we learned with the caution, the only caution we had in the whole race uh, was when James Hinchcliffe and Felix Rosenquist tried to do kind of that same thing, and it ended up uh, not working out. Um, you know, going through 19, I think we saw James Hinchcliffe just barely scrape the just the, the edge of the track right where you'd have the, the bumps and it got the car to carry a little bit too much momentum to the right, hooked Felix and and put him in the fence. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just shows that there's a different level of, of driver there in terms of just what Pato was able to do with that one move on Graham versus maybe what, what other drivers were really that comfortable with. Because uh, I don't necessarily think that's a position that James was too comfortable with. But, you know, you got – at that time, it was a lap 43. Uh, you got 17 laps to go from the end, trying to go for all you had because, quite frankly, we hadn't really seen a lot of close-knit stuff towards the front end of the grid, but everybody from behind from, like, what was that, fifth on back was just absolutely fighting for every bit of it. Absolutely, yeah. Now, speaking of uh, turn 19, uh, now, Coda is – Traditionally, a Formula One venue. They've been hosting Formula One races there since uh, 2011. And Richard, you've watched all of those, and we've all watched yep. all of those. Um, now, the IndyCar series decided to lift the track limit on turn 19 simply because 
guys just couldn't seem to keep it on the track there. They, they figured they would either be writing out, uh, you know, 10, 12 penalties per lap, or they just, okay, guys, just do what you want. We don't care. Um, that was, you know, came with some really mixed reactions from uh, from both the drivers and fans on both sides of the um, of the Atlantic Ocean. So, Richard, what are your thoughts on the um, lifting the track limits on Turn 19? Well, I'm a little bit... A little bit old school, I guess, when it comes to you know the sort of the the concept of track limits. Um, at the end of the day, my opinion is that if you have to go off the track, you, you're not, you know, that's not the right thing to do. You need to, um, you know, you need, you need to stick to the the limits that the uh, you know circuit designers have put there. Um, you know, back in the back in the day, you know, in Formula One races and IndyCar races, I'm sure in uh, in the 80s and 90s, you know. You didn't have vast oceans of asphalt to run off on. You basically have, you know, the same amount of grip as you have on the track. Uh, you know, you'd have grass or gravel or sand or or trees. Fence. Yes, or hay bales or people or something like that to slow you down. Um, so I, I think that they need to. I'd like to see if you're not going to put, you know, gravel traps or you know, a real retardant there. Put you know, put these sausage curbs, whatever they like to call them out there. Um, I, I really do think it's it's a poor show when, you know, they're, they're having to resort to those extremes. And, I mean, they weren't just running a couple of wheels off. They were three or four car widths, you know, wide. I mean, the first time I saw it on one of the practice sessions, I genuinely thought, oh, he's gone off. Oh, oh no, they're all doing it. Um you know, it's like, well, why bother tarmacking that part of the track if you're just going to use the runoff? Um, I thought it was very, very poor, and I thought it was a very bad idea, and they need to do something about that next time. Stick a giant curb there, sort it out. Not good enough in my book. All right, Joey, what are your thoughts on this? So, traditionally, I've always agreed with the fact that track limits are, uh, you need them enforced. Um, and I'm, I'm very much on the kind of the personal thought that if you, you you can have a car over those curves and onto where it's the track limits, but not a full car width. Like if if you have even the slightest gray area between the tires and the curb, I think that should be a penalty. That's the traditionalist in me. So from that standpoint, I agree with Richard. But uh, to play devil's advocate in a situation, I think when when you look at testing and the fact that so many guys were off and they were citing, you know, gosh, hundreds of violations at that point, which meant that a lot of these teams were losing, you know, five minutes of track time here, five minutes of track time there because they had to come in and serve just that five-minute penalty, which got a little ridiculous. Um, And so from that standpoint, you know, it was being policed at the test, um, and it was just one of those that maybe you look at this situation and you think, uh, as a sanctioning body, this is my thought process of it, of what maybe they were thinking, is the fact that we're coming to a brand new track, a brand new market, with brand new fans. And you don't want to run into a situation where you've got Will Power fighting for the lead, uh, you know, sitting on pole and, and just starts yarding everybody. But because he goes way off on, on 19, they penalize him. And then he's coming in and serving, and you don't necessarily know why. And if you had that happen to the entire 24-car field, there would be a complete cluster, and you, you'd have confusion among the fan base. And so brand-new fans wouldn't quite grasp that. I have, from what I've been kind of told and what the way things have gathered, I believe that this is going to be a little bit more enforced next year. I think this was mostly to kind of cater to the new market, the new track, and the new audience because, I mean, those are the kind of things that you have to at least slightly expect. They tested it in February. It didn't quite work out the way that they were hoping it would. And I think that maybe we're going to have a little bit of a stricter policy to just bring it in a little bit more next year. I mean, I think it's... It, it, sorry, just make a quick point. As you say, obviously, you know, they tested there, what, in February, wasn't it? Um, and they were doing, you know, they were running wide there and using that runoff and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, from the organization's point of view, they've had, what, six weeks to find a fix? You know, you, yeah. they could have done something physically. As I say, stick those sausage curves like they did in Singapore out there. You know, well, all you I, need is a few drills and bolts. I mean, most other tracks in the world seem to be able to do it. 
I, yeah, but the, you're running into a situation where it's an FIA sanctioned track, and I think for something like that, you would definitely need the FIA to be a little bit more involved on that. I mean, this this felt like it was a situation where we had an opportunity as a as a series to go there, but it's like a you can play, but you can't mess with if that makes any sense. Like you can't make alterations. You know, you're already running the full F1 circuit, but you can't go in there yeah. because if you you're talking about drilling stuff. Then you're going to run yeah. into a situation where you're probably going to upset some of the uh, F1 people whenever they come out there. Well, yeah, and plus they run motorcycles there too, and those sausage curbs are not very kind to motorcycles. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. So, you can take them in and out pretty easily. It's, it's right, not a permanent right. fix. And, you know, it, I, I know what you're saying in, in the terms that, you know, they, they want to go there. and But, it, it, you know, as, as much as penalizing people going across would have confused fans, also it confused fans to see cars running 50 foot off track. I, Trust me, I, I'm right there with you. I'll say this. In testing, it didn't look like they were off to this egregious of an amount. Like when, when testing happened, you were off half a car length, usually a full car length at most. They weren't out there like no. really pushing. And the thing is, is like even Newgarden said, like you can go out there and you could really crank out some, some good time to gain momentum. Like we're talking, I would be willing to bet that you could probably gain three tenths maybe even five up to up to half a second if you hit it just perfect um i personally uh for my own personal benefit would like to see that a lot stricter next year yeah. i understand the reason behind why not to i don't i don't necessarily you know i'm sure a lot of the longtime fans are like what the hell's going on here but you know for the new fans if that's yeah. what it takes to, to introduce some people before we kind of maybe bring it in another you know two car lengths next year tar carwitz I'm all for it. I mean, it's it's the first try. It didn't. It, it still turned into a really good race. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, hundreds, hundreds yeah. of penalties. Oh, yeah. no, hundreds was, of penalties would have destroyed the uh, yeah. <laughs> destroyed the whole show. So, but I mean, but, if, you, uh, if they'd been uh, if they'd been invited to Monaco, would they have asked to fill in the harbor because they couldn't make a corner? I tell you this, I don't. I don't. Nah, miss, Richard. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> calm down. Just, <laughs> no, 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 I mean he's not. But I mean, these but, but, here, but here, here's my question to, to here's my question to you both: Is it is it because the Formula One cars are so much you know better planted uh, that yeah. that they don't have the issues with that corner? They're able to take that that corner at a high speed. Issues. And yeah, there's yeah, still but issues. not but not it's quite. Just, I don't see the Formula One cars going way out there, or or is it just the fact look, that once they said no track limits, they're like woohoo, let's go way out there. Look, if you can run two an F one car around the double apex around the tower can run flat out these indie cars could go around that tower and just barely crack the throttle yeah i don't necessarily if you can go around that corner i think you could go around 19 it really just comes to, down to discipline and and how much you really want to push that limit I, I mean that's really all it comes down to it doesn't come down to downforce levels or anything else it just if it's enforced the guys will have to adjust accordingly or they'll get penalized. I mean, that's just that's what it comes down to. So if you can make that sweeping right-hander, I think you have no problems with 19. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, Gray, Seth, did you guys get a chance to watch the uh, IndyCars at Austin? Do you want to chime in with any comments at all? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good race. I, I watched uh, watched some of it, uh, bits and pieces of it. Uh, uh, you know, and just uh, like I said, uh, Herta did a great job. I mean, he was, like you said, probably headed to a podium regardless but the you know and they had the unfortunate caution and of course of course you know kind of took uh first and second place guys kind of out of it but uh yeah i mean he he deserved it i mean great great run for the kid just listening to the track limit debate i can't help but think of the yellow line rule at daytona and talladega um Maybe if we called that track limits instead of the yellow line rule maybe less people would be upset but I digress. <laughs> I digress, yeah. So the one thing I do want to mention, Will Power was, again, visibly upset with the fact that the pits are closed on the yellow. Now, this this has been an IndyCar for a while. I mean, years ago, back in the 80s and 90s, yeah, if you got a yellow and hadn't pitted yet, it was an advantage. Now, and now you're going to get stuck in the back of the pack because they closed the pits. Uh, now, Power said this is the only series that does that, and that's not technically true. Um <laughs> But I mean, I don't, you know, see this going away. No. Nope. Uh, but well, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Because uh, uh, we've seen guys, 
uh, Dixon get caught out. We've seen Elio get caught out. We've seen it happen to, to numerous guys. It's all in in how you plan things. And if you try to stretch your fuel and be the last guy to pit, you put yourself in risk there. So, um, I mean, is there anything that could be done with this? Because I do think that at times it it takes away from the show uh, when a guy dominates and then, uh, you know, to the casual fan, they're like, well, why is this guy suddenly in like – ninth place or 12th place what happened what did i miss but you know yeah. basically it just boils down to luck i mean you can still oh, yeah. you can you can run your strategy i mean that's one of the one of the things about it everybody's going to run a different strategy and and you know you can it can bite you in, at any time you can't predict the cautions i mean you can do what you know you can sit and and and, and run all the uh programs on what's happened in the last five six ten races and you know when the caution is going to come out when it, i mean that that doesn't mean a thing really i mean you, you can help you plan your strategy but still i mean you know if if, the, if it doesn't go if it doesn't uh the caution didn't come out you know power's probably sitting in victory uh victory lane well, I mean, well, except his drive shaft. Well, yeah. drive shaft. <laughs> so, but Rossi, Rossi would have been, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's, here's my thoughts on it is the fact that, like, to, just to kind of talk about Colton's pace for a second, he would have probably been slotted in with with P3, maybe P2, because in the second stint of the race, he did close on power, um, and I don't think that's something that we can't forget. Is like, you know, he was able to to make moves, he was able to actually push time. It wasn't he like he was riding around in third. He was able to actually close on power. Um, so to that end, the pace was certainly there with Colton. Um, just that comment on there. But when it comes to this fiasco about closing the pits and what have you, this this incident in particular happened at the pit entrance. Um, so you had no choice in this case but to close the pits. And... I just kind of wanted to read something out to y'all. This was, I'm going to plug myself here, but this is from the article that I, that I wrote. Um, Board A gave me these comments uh, after he ended up getting himself uh, a decent finish on, on Sunday. He uh, He's like, I don't know why they stayed out, talking about the leaders, um, to pit as late as possible because it really wasn't hard to make it from 17 to go. A lot of them stayed out again. I guess the leaders, when you're up front, will just never learn. It always seems to be the same deal. Not much to win, but a lot to lose. So I, this, obviously, why wouldn't you cover yourself? I, I think this is just a, a situation where Rossi and Power were just trying to stay out as long as they could, maybe to have that fresh set of tires at the end. But they were already comfortably so far out front that they, they thought too much maybe about, I mean, you're not going to lap the field at a 3.4-mile racetrack in this situation. So I, I think that they got caught up too much in that and uh, not necessarily enough to cover themselves. And I think it bit them. And how many times have we seen something happen where, like what Power had, you know, he's on pit road, he's trying to launch off pit road, and he ends up breaking something. Uh, whether it's by his doing, the car, what have you. I feel like we're averaging once a year now for the past three or four years where power's coming in in the lead and something breaks on the car exiting the pits. And, you know, I, I'm sure if we look back at it, maybe that number's a little bit less, but it feels like once a year there's something that where he's launching off pit road and we're breaking gears or breaking a drive shaft or there's a sensor that's wrong. And, it's, like a, it's like a forced error. Yeah, and it, so it just feels, you know, I, I'm not, I don't see the same issue out of the other guys, and I understand the need, because you're pitting under yellow, to beat Rossi, but what are you going to finish, P7, P8, after leading the first 45 laps? So, um, yeah, they just got bit, and it, like, you know, Bourdais was talking about this, sometimes it work in, works in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. So, but, you know, it, it, but go back to, the, if they went back to the old way, where you could shoot down pit road, you you. You know, and and you'd have other guys screaming. I mean, the opposite, the opposite thing. So yeah, you know, but, I mean, it, it would work in their favor. You know, things would work in their favor. But I mean, it's no, it's no clear cut answer to it. Well, and it wouldn't have worked on Sunday anyway because they had to close the pits right, because the because entrance was blocked. Right. So, yeah, I just I've always felt like in the interest of safety, it's always going to need to go ahead and close the pits to get the you know safety vehicles vehicles dispatched onto the track. So, uh, but anyway, so we have uh, weekend off coming up for IndyCar, and then we're on to Barber, 
which is always a great race. Uh, that's been the stopping ground of Joseph, Joseph Newgarden last couple of years. So uh, that'll be exciting to see. So, Joe, any final thoughts on uh, Akota before we start talking about uh, the cup cars in uh, Martinsville? Um, I just kind of looking down the running order uh, really quick. And I can't help but look at the fact like uh, we had obviously that that caution shook a few things up. But, um, you know, an attaboy to Joseph Newgarden, a first and a second, opening the races, uh, opening the first two races of the season. Uh, Graham Rahal and Takuma Sato, um, you know, double top 10 for, for Rahal Letterman Lane again. First time they've done that since, I think, Gateway last year. And it's the first top five for Graham since Detroit. Uh, so he went a while without a top five. Uh, obviously, Bourdais had a good finish. Marco Andretti went from 20th to 6th. We talked about Pato and P8 and uh, Jack Harvey with back-to-back tens after doing that in the season opener. So um, quietly, Meyer Shank Racing has got themselves kind of comfortably and quietly slotted into a couple of solid runs this year. Um, so some positives to take away from that, and um, it's I mean it's just setting up. I, I think the thing that threw me off the most this weekend was Scott Dixon just looked like he was a fish out of water at times. Um, you know, he's not one that likes to bump and, and rub with people. And, and let's be honest, this track kind of tightened up some of the spaces, especially with 12, because everybody's fighting to get that inside to set up for the outside. So, um, I was kind of shocked to see him kind of mired back in 13th. They look like they flat out got outran strategically and by driver this weekend. So, but that's, that's not going to stay. I mean, they're, they're usually good for one dud a year and then they're on it the rest of the time. So I think that everybody just saw their one dud and uh, I think it's game on after this. Yeah. That was pretty uncharacteristic of Dixon. Yeah. And, and the other ones who've really failed to kind of, Impressor, the you know Arrow Motorsports, <laughs> you know well, Hitchcliffe mm, and um, Erickson I think both have I, not had the results. I mean, they've been. I, I was about to say, I think that's unfair because Erickson was running pretty pretty damn good this weekend. If it wasn't for that caution, and then he had to serve right, a, right, but, a penalty to restart at the tail of the grid, um, with 15 to go. So. 14 to go, whatever it was. So I, Erickson had a really good run going. He had a top six run going prior to that, and it wasn't a fluke. He charged through the field up to, to get that P6 run. So um, that was a tough break for him. I think I fully expect him to be pretty good at Long Beach or at uh, Barber, and um, I don't necessarily know if he'll win, obviously, with Joseph doing what he's doing. But, but um, yeah. Marcus had a pretty good run. It just, it's a shame. A lot of the guys had bad runs, but you know, it's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. And we're on to Barber next. So, uh, now gray, um, the cup series with the Martinsville. And as I alluded to earlier in the show, Brad Keselowski, second win of the year, third win for the Penske team. Um, really <laughs> not a lot of competition for Brad there. He led, uh, uh, you know, an obscene amount of laps. Uh, 446. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, you know, beyond the fact that uh, Brad dominated the front, how did uh, how, you know? Let's talk about the the midfield. Well, you know, P- Pinsky wins the pole with Joey Logano, and and uh, of course Brad took the lead uh, in the race shortly thereafter, and was only really challenged once during the race, and that was by Chase Elliott. And uh, Chase briefly had the lead for for few laps and then uh, caution came out and of course Brad's fit crew uh, got him back to the front and uh, he was able to uh, maintain the lead to the end of the race. Uh, uh, the nine car was showed, showed it could be competitive with Brad and, and closed the gap there a little bit toward the end but uh, a little bit uh, too little, too late in that case, but uh, still a strong run by Chase Elliott to to uh, to come home second. Um, but again, you know, uh, this is Brad's second win at Martinsville in the last several years, and uh, I think it was uh, Logano's fourth or fifth pole there um, in recent memory. So yeah, the uh, Penske cars were very very strong at uh, at, at Martinsville. Um, and like I said, there's not not a whole lot to talk about other than that. Because Brad, you know, pretty much ruled the day. It was an interesting race, to say the least, though. Uh, yes, Brad dominated it. He led the most laps, I think, since 
Kyle Petty led 482 or so at Rockingham in the 90s. Uh, but overall, he and Blaney were the two cars that were the class of the field as far as the Penske cars are concerned. You had Kyle Busch running well. You had Clint Boyer running well enough that he came back from two speeding penalties to finish inside mm-hmm. the top ten. And uh, Chase Elliott, yes, he uh, finished in the top five. It's not only his, but it's Hendrick Motorsports' first top five since he won at Kansas last year. Uh, I don't know if that's a bright spot or something that Hendrick Moore Sports is frowning upon, but um, well, Jimmy Chase Thompson, has been, sta- Chase has been yeah. a standard bearer for that organization uh, last exactly. year and going into this year as well. Although I will say, uh, William Byron, it didn't look like it, but he actually did have speed. Um, he had to start from the rear A because he uh, went uh, to a backup car, I believe, after a crash in the opening minutes of practice. Plus, they failed uh, post-qualifying tech, so his time was disallowed. But uh, the point being is he uh, was able to get up to the top 15 or so before, unfortunately, pit stops because, again, the poor qualifying position after the time being disallowed. Uh, he just got blocked in multiple times on pit road and ultimately at one point fell a lap down. But he, Hendrick Motorsports, Chevy as a whole, have been struggling even still. This race, he had a little more parity, but not much. And part of that might be because the tires just didn't wear, which might have been why passing was... At a premium, there. Uh, if everyone was running the same speed because the tires weren't wearing, and they're sliding around because the tires aren't gripping, it's hard for people to pass. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. A lot, you know, I've been to a lot of Martinsville races, and then there's a lot of bumping and banging and moving somebody out of the way. But we just didn't see that this past weekend, and then you feel like that's more well in the cup with here. The tires, the tires, and the arrow. Uh, I'd say more the tires than the yeah, arrow. Arrow's not a arrow's not a uh, yeah, not not, not at not at the speeds. Yeah, granted, some drivers and some teams pointed to the arrow, but more pointed to the tires than they did to the arrow. You know, and, and the thing about Martinsville typically that you see there is is cars come and go. You see more the field having an accordion effect. You'll see a guy get out, you know, and he might he might blast out to a couple of second lead and then he'll then he'll fade another guy will emerge up front you didn't see that this weekend you know it was it was pretty much a dominating performance from uh you saw some cars back in mid-pack do that they would they would you know come and go and 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 swap positions back and back but as far as up front uh Keselowski controlled that race from 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 the get-go just about and to quote Brad uh, he was on uh, the SiriusXM NASCAR channel earlier in the week before Martinsville, and they were talking about the whole qualifying fiasco at Fontana. And Brad said that as a driver, he would love to lead every lap, qualify on the pole by 20 miles per hour, and just lap the entire field, and he would think that was an awesome race. Uh, it He almost did some of that, so... Uh, not that he called his shot, but he kind of implied he was calling his shot. Yeah. Now, speaking of the qualifying procedure, right now we've got something different on the books coming up. Yes, we do. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. So from now on, if uh, a driver impedes somebody else's lap, and this is at NASCAR's discretion, uh, you can have your lap time disallowed. If you fail to, let me start with this. If you, uh, there's a designated staging area at each track and it varies from track to track. Once your car leaves that area, which is pit road, it must continue directly onto the track. You cannot stop on the pit road. 
If you do stop on pit road, however, there must be a uh, lane open for competitors to enter the track. Now, the only time you can stop on pit road is if there's an incident or you've already completed one lap. Uh, and you cannot impede a competitor. If you do compete a, a competitor, uh, your time will be disallowed. If you do not start a timed lap before the clock expires, uh, you will, A, have your time disallowed for that session, and B, have all of the times from the previous two sessions disallowed. Okay, so now in realistic, what are we going to see on the track terms other than the, the print of the thing? What is that going to translate to uh, the fans seeing in the stands? Are we going to see guys that are going to sit we in their don't... pit stall? They're going to sit in their pit stall rather than pull out onto the pit lane? It, it's a good question because if they sit in their pit stall too long, uh, they would end up starting at the rear. Granted, at some tracks like uh, Fontana or Atlanta, that would actually be a benefit. Uh, uh, but at other tracks, say Texas, which has recently been repaved, Charlotte, some other tracks, I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody go out and coast around the track just to have a time. Yeah, just to save the tires till the end of the session. I understand yeah. that. But at least they're on the track and not sitting static in pit lane giving nobody in the stands who paid the money who paid money to be there a show. And just a note on this, the reason why it's not solo qualifying. Going back to when they started this multi car rapid fire, however you want to call it, qualifying. It was a combination of trying to get more butts in the seats on qualifying day and the TV partners asking NASCAR if there's a way that they could A, shorten qualifying and B, make it more exciting to get more viewers. So a part of this is made for TV. But a part of this is also NASCAR just trying to get more fans in the stands. Now, Joey, I have a feeling that you want to chime in on this. I mean, I, I flat out hate this qualifying. It feels like when it was announced several years ago, it felt like it was them mocking F1 in some ways. I mean, and it's everything that was working. Like, how do I say this very nicely? Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the wheel was rolling just fine. And they tried to reinvent it. And I think they broke the wheel. So, um, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with solo qualifying runs. I thought they were pretty straightforward. I thought it was actually more suspenseful to have it to where, you know, when guys go out, who's it going to be? Like, I, I think at one point we had it to where they, they had the qualifying procedure inverted from practice uh, for solo runs, which I think it was was awesome. That's how IndyCar does it whenever and, we go to they go to Texas. So, and they still do that at the super speedways for Cup and uh, tracks over a mile and a half for truck and Xfinity. Yeah, so I mean, so I don't, don't get why we got to have rounds like, especially for stock cars. Like, it's a different discipline. It's a different sport. Quit trying to be something you're not. I mean, I know I rail, I rail on NASCAR a lot because, quite frankly, they just make a bunch of bonehead decisions when it comes to things. And, I mean, they've got this one wrong for a long time, and they just continue to get it wrong. So I don't know how it has to say anything else without being more negative. But uh, you know, I, I miss solo runs. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I liked it better. The reason the reason they uh, – Went to went to this to, to try to create more people. That's to get into the stands on Fridays. Wasn't because qualifying was boring. It was because people couldn't afford it. I mean, they were you know they were they were kind yeah. of shortening their weekend where they used to come to the race and would would arrive on Thursday and spend the whole weekend. Now the now they're coming to one event and that is that's the Sunday event. You don't even see the crowds there for the support races on Saturday. So it wasn't it wasn't the show that they were seeing in qualifying. I could I remember years years ago when there would be huge crowds at qualifying. Charlotte Motor Speedway used to put on a spectacle for qualifying that the whole front stretch grandstands would be full. 
But I mean, those days are gone. People just don't have the disposable income, you know, to to, to be able to do it. Everything's so so expensive. Travel, uh, you know, uh, lodging, different any, any number of things is is the reason for that. And you're not, oh. you know, this. You look at the stands on for, for qualifying. They haven't imp- they haven't improved that, you know, by by this new qualifying procedure. Nobody's gonna follow something. It doesn't have an identity, and NASCAR is still trying to figure out their identity, yeah. obviously. And, and you know, I don't necessarily, like, maybe that's part of. I, I don't, I can't speak for what goes on up in Charlotte, but I know, like, growing up here in Texas, we had it to where you'd pay fifteen, twenty bucks for a Friday ticket, and that would get you all a qualifying, right. and it would get you the, the truck and, race that night. Right. So exactly, that's where it used to be in Charlotte. They'd have yeah. a big show, you know. You you would see um. They'd come and uh, they'd have qualifying. They used to do it on Thursdays, and they'd either have a truck race that followed it, or they'd have uh, the modif- They had the Southern Modified. And and now it's ARCA. And now, now. It's, but they but they did have a support show, and you got you got a little bit of bang for your buck. Hell, Pumpy used to even have boxing matches. Uh, yeah, or he'd have cars jumping through hoops of fire and stuff yeah, like I mean, that. Yeah, they had or, they, they or, or somebody, whole... a bus jumping over a bunch of junkyard yeah, <laughs> cars. Yeah, it was I mean, fun. It was ha- fun. Ha- I've been there. Having said all this negative stuff that I have a tendency to say, um, I will say this. I do feel like we've reached kind of the the summit when it comes to where things were as far as all the bad stuff that NASCAR has gone through. Like, look at what they've had to endure over the last year. It's been a lot. A uh, change in leadership, a change of direction, a uh, change of a lot of things, change of philosophies in some cases. So I feel like we've already reached the summit of that, and maybe this is that, that slow trend towards the positiveness. And if that's the case, cool, I'm all for it. But, you know, I, I'm one that always loves to to sever things that I don't like, and I, I this is one of those things that I don't like, and I wish that they would have severed it and gone back to the old school ways. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, that said, it, I feel like this is going to trend more towards positiveness, but it's going to take more than just a season to get there. I think we're probably looking at a five year plan oh, sure. before yeah. we see things oh, yeah, getting yeah. on their feet. So. Now, speaking of a five year plan, um, NASCAR has announced the Cup schedule for next season. Um, and then this is the last season with the track agreements. Uh, next year is the last it, exactly. season. Yeah, yeah. Twenty. This schedule, yeah. 2020 schedule that was just released is the last one with track agreements in place. So perhaps 2020, you know, <clears throat> there, there is 2021 yeah. is uh, going to be a really mixed up. But they, they mixed up a few things on this one. So, uh, Seth, you want to take us through that? And Gray, you can chime in. Well, the season opener is still going to be at Daytona, and it's still the Daytona 500. That is not changing. Uh, from Daytona, we go immediately into the West Coast Swing, uh, Vegas, Auto Club, ISM, uh, changing the order a little bit because this year it was uh, Vegas, ISM, Auto Club. Yeah, let, and- me, let me inject one point in here, too, and, and I do applaud NASCAR for this, and I've I have always said that running Atlanta <laughs> as the second race of the season was the stupidest thing in the world because it can be cold, bitterly cold in Atlanta uh, the end of February. And it can uh, snow. There. And, and, and it's now the fifth race of the season, and that makes March more 15th. Sense. That makes more sense because uh, it, it goes back to more of an old-school date for and, Atlanta. Of course, and and that's and that's great. I think that'll help the crowds at Atlanta. That'll help. Uh, and speaking of old school, uh, Homestead is moving to March twenty second, which back in the beginning of the Truck Series and the mid nineties for the Xfinity Series, they would go to Homestead typically as a support race or mm-hmm. around the same weekend as Cart or IndyCard, which mm-hmm. went to Homestead in mid-March around those time periods. Uh, then after Homestead, it's still it's going to be Texas, Bristol, Richmond on Sunday. It's moving from the night race to a day race. Uh, Mother's Day weekend, we'll have a night race at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, that will be a that will be pretty much a success there. I'll I'll say that right off the bat. That that should be people have been clamoring for a night race at uh, 
at Martinsville for a long, long time. So I think I applaud that. Uh, and, that and, the, and the weather and the weather will be the weather will be beautiful in early May yeah, in Martinsville. Yes, it will. If it doesn't be, rain, no, it doesn't rain. Right, but but yeah, but I mean, it doesn't about rain. Yeah, but they but, they pushed to Martinsville both dates. You know, mm-hmm. the early one and back into where it's cold. So now at least they've pushed this one back into nice weather. Yeah. So that'll, so that, be, that'll, that'll be that'll be a success. That'll be now, a plus. And uh, July 4th is no longer going to be at Daytona. It'll now be at Indianapolis Moore Speedway. Let me inject a point there. That will be the most ungodly hot race that they those, that those I, boys will face. I, that is the hottest place on earth in July. You know, and, the first... First many years that we went ran the Brickyard 400, we ran it in July, and in my 25 years of traveling the Cup Series, uh, that is one of the hottest races I've ever uh, been a part of at, at, at Indianapolis in July. And they had moved it uh, to actually the, last year they moved it to the regular season finale at the end of August. Just because of that. Just because of that, because it was actually a little bit cooler. Not yeah. much, but a little bit. Uh, also, Pocono, it's still going to have two races, but it's only going to have one date. Uh, it will have a double header with a, a cup race Saturday, June 27th, and Sunday, June 28th. And, and let, on top let, of that... Let, let, let me inge- inject a point on that. I've always kind of felt that Pocono's two cup days, cup days were too close together. <laughs> And now, now they've just made them even much closer together. So, uh, and but, but uh, that'll be uh, if they if they come out with like a uh, a really reasonably priced like a super ticket for both races or that, all five. That, that'll that'll be a bang up event. Yeah, for all five because you've got all the support series. Yes, yeah, so you'll so have so, hey, the sir. trucks, Xfinity, and Arca there. Yeah, but so, if, they, um, if they come up with a reasonable price point for a ticket for one ticket that'll get you both races, and, that can be a success. And uh, Richard, you have a point before I, do, I continue. Yeah. So they're Saturday, Sunday race. One race Saturday, one race Sunday. Yes. So uh, I guess it's too early to say, but would they qualify two separate qualifyings in two separate cars? They haven't uh, announced those details as of yet. Because you end up with, that. so basically I... end up taking two haulers to each race per team but... or. A bit like they do on the West Coast Swing, take a hauler and then a, a car but, transporter. Uh, I do understand I don't think this. Do that. I, don't, I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll probably be more like pattern after the, the IndyCar doubleheaders where you'll race on, you'll qualify, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I think the starting field for the second race will be probably predicated on how you finish the finish the first race and that's what the talk is right now but nothing's confirmed yet and i will say this uh this idea for a double header weekend uh is the brainchild of uh the igdalski family that owns pocono and they did this in anticipation because talk is the 2021 schedule will have only 28 to 30 race weekends and pocono having shrunk from two race weekends to one, will be able to keep intact all of their races if this goes off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. So we could see possibly more doubles in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, IndyCar tried that a couple of years ago. They had three or four double headers on the schedule. You know, I think Toronto, Houston, uh, Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Detroit's still a double, but uh, those other ones have you know gone by the wayside. But... Uh, mm-hmm. Now, now, Joey, you've got some thoughts on this, uh, comparing the Pocono Double to Detroit? Uh, I don't necessarily look at the compare. I mean, obviously, there is a comparison, so I'll be interested to see how it works. I don't think you can go in there and run the 400-mile races that you have been running at Pocono. I think maybe one day's a two, like a sprint, and the other day's a 400-miler. That would be fine, or two, two threes. When yeah, you get all heard, the shows. I've heard you, two threes, but they haven't announced the lengths yet. Yeah, but when you uh, have yeah, two two threes would make more sense. But I mean, you know that that's tough on the crews, especially if uh, if uh, you have a, a big wreck on um, on, on well, Saturday put, Saturday's race. These guys got to get those cars back together in a day. Well, no, what you would what they'd probably do if you if you were to crash your car significantly on on Saturday, 
they'd probably allow you to start the second race with the backup car and you and just forfeit your starting position and start yeah. in the rear of the field. So when was it ruins on Saturday? And yeah, I mean, that day out. Do you do two races in a day, or do you push Sunday, Saturday race to Sunday, and Sunday race to Monday? Now that happened, that happened at Detroit a couple of years ago. It rained. The Saturday race got rained yeah. out. They had yeah. two races on Sunday. It's uh, absolutely it, again, it, had, it's something one, one race and two hours later they had the other. Yeah, yeah but it, these are NASCAR drivers, you know. I, you oh yeah, I know there's a contingency plan in place already, but they haven't announced it yet. Yeah, but I, where I wanted to go with this, the fact that when you have Sorry. so many, no, no, you're good. When you have so many support series running with them that weekend, it makes no sense to try to compile all of it because you're running against daylight essentially. And with no lights around Pocono, I don't know necessarily how that's going to work and how well, that's going to play out. But I, I believe the way it's been, I've been told anyway uh, by some people, it would be, Arca and Truck on Friday, uh, with both being a one-day show, essentially. Uh, Xfinity and the first Cup race on Saturday, and then Cup as a standalone on Sunday. Yeah, see, that sounds like two 200-mile races on Saturday and a 400-miler on on uh, Sunday. But I, to kind of go where I wanted to go with this originally was the fact that they've got to... I love the idea of cutting back the schedule. Because I think, and F1 does this, and IndyCar does this, and I think it's a beautiful thing in this day and age especially. When you cut back on the schedule, you make it to where things are more exclusive, which means that to the fans that want to go to something, it is a must-go-to. Like, you know how many times a year, because Texas has two dates, or Kansas, or Dover, of all places, you go there and it's like, well, if I don't make this spring date, I know I've got the fall. And, and if I don't get the fall, then I know that I've got, you know, in six uh, more months, I, I've, I've got the spring. So uh, I, I like the idea that you have the, uh, the, the situation where if, if this can become where they cut back with this 28 to 30 race deal that you're talking about, I like the idea that this can become more exclusive because there's more on the line if you've got to wait next year. And, and just uh, a real world example of that, uh, growing up, uh, from 96 to 2006, uh, we went at least once a year to Dover. The only thing that determined which race we went to was, for that particular year, which holiday uh, fell during the uh, summer race. It Because it, for years, if it was Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur for us, we didn't go that weekend. So, I... Mean, I, I I was going to say, just a real-world example of that. Well, you know, make things... I, I get what Joy's saying, and I agree. You know, um, you've got to, gotta, you know, leave the fans wanting more. And, and, and if, you give them, if you give them more, they're going to get uh, complacent with it. So take a, little, take a little bit back from them. You know, retract a little bit and, uh, and, and get them interested again. I mean, so does anybody think that uh, Kyle Busch would go for a five sweep? Oh God! Oh, he might. Yeah, but, but fe- fe- fellas, we're we're coming up against our time slot of the show, and we've only got to the uh, July part of the of the schedule. So, Seth, uh, so a- after after we do the double header at Pocono, what's next? We got some changes uh, in the playoffs. Well, first off, right after New Hampshire, you have a two week break. Uh, NBC will be. Uh, wherever the Olympics are for 2020. I think they're in Japan. Uh, Then after that, you have four races in a row. Michigan, Watkins Glen, Dover, and Daytona for the regular season finale. Uh, The playoffs begin with... Is that going to be a night race? Yes. Yes, okay, great. And the playoffs begin with throwback weekend at Darlington Raceway. Followed by... Yep, followed by... It's fantastic. Followed by Richmond and Bristol. So you have mm. three of the oldest tracks and three of the Shoulders. most difficult tracks in NASCAR to start the playoffs. Then you go out west to Vegas. You go to the Talladega Super Speedway and then to the Charlotte Roval for the mm. second round. After that, we have Kansas, Texas, and Martinsville to cap off the third round of the playoffs. And to 
for the first time since 2001, ISM Raceway is the new uh, host of the championships. Uh, the In 2001, it was New Hampshire because of 9-11. Prior to that, it was Atlanta. Most recently, it's been Homestead. So we will now be crowning the champion at the favorite track of Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, nice. Well, I mean, other than the, the transporter drivers being not too thrilled with this, um, <laughs> I, I do like I do like the new uh, the playoff races. I, I like the we, fa- I like the fact that Bristol is in the playoffs. I still would love to see a Watkins Glen or a Sonoma in there, well, but 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 I'll take the Charlotte Roval because that was pretty darn entertaining last and year. And we end Veterans Day weekend in twenty twenty. Right, so we're we're ending a little earlier. Yep. So, Seth, uh, yes, is Ford uh, did Ford's uh, sponsorship of Championship Weekend at uh, Homestead did that expire? I think that this is its last season, which is one of the things that allowed this change to happen. Okay, that's what I was curious about. Yeah, uh, because Ford if I remember correctly, about 15 years ago, signed a 15-year deal. Yeah, it's been uh, a Ford Championship weekend for for a good long while. For about 20 years or so now. Uh, so I want to say this is their last year mm-hmm. as Ford Championship weekend. Whether or not they maybe move that sponsorship over to ISM Raceway in Phoenix or the current sponsor out there, which I believe is either ISM Connect or IK9 takes over. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's a little too early for that news right now. Uh, Xfinity and truck playoff or truck uh, schedules should be out within the next week or two from what NASCAR said. And the five-year sanctioning agreements were specifically for the cup races. So we might see a little more drastic changes for Xfinity and Truck. Mm-hmm. So now when we're talking about the 2021, okay, you're talking about limited race weekends, okay? But there's also the thought of bringing a few new tracks on board. I know uh, that, that Road America has been in discussions. Uh, as has Rockingham, yeah, so. Iowa, uh, Nashville Fairgrounds, and there's even been talk of uh, Portland. Yeah, so I, I don't see how we're going to add these tracks and my, reduce, reduce these unless we get a lot of these well, tradition, traditional tracks that have two dates to drop one. There's that and also talk of midweek racing for some, like I said, 28 to 30 race weekends. I didn't actually spe- specifically say 28 to 30 races. Uh, okay. All right. So... Guys, we're, we are up against the clock here, so where are we racing next with NASCAR? Texas. Texas, okay. Joey, would you like to make a pick for Texas, since that's your home state? Um, Harvick. Good pick. That's yeah, nice. it's a good pick. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny how Harvick really hasn't won one yet this year, because usually he's a strong out of the box. So, Gray, who do you like for Texas? Um... Uh, I was going to pick Harvick because I thought that would be a good sound pick, but I'm going to have to go and say uh, Kyle Busch. All right. And Seth? Laney. Ah. Ah, ah, Richard. Richard, I, I take it. And the, and the Englishman gasps. Oh, Englishman gasps. Okay. Uh, let's have a think. Uh, Amarola. All right. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, Logano. So now, Richard, we're Formula yep. One. We're in Bahrain next week. We uh, this weekend. Yep. No, no, no. Yep. Yeah, this coming weekend, we're in Bahrain. So uh, yep. l- let's make us a pick for Bahrain. Richard, you get the first pick. Bottas. Okay. And Gray, who do you like? Uh, Vettel rebounds. Vettel rebounds. Awesome. That'd be a very popular pick. Joey. Not necessarily wanting this, but uh, probably Verstappen. All right, Seth. Lewis Hamilton. I was gonna say nobody let <laughs> nobody <laughs> Lewis Hamilton yet, so uh, probably have a floor destroyed by the time he gets the last. <laughs> yeah, be a little yeah, yeah, fleck so of paint does... missing somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so who does that leave me? Um, 
Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc, Pierre Gasly, one or the other, you right? Don't, whoa, whoa, is that even a contest? You're mad. <laughs> Revoke your credentials right now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. uh, you might, you should Leclerc, pick Danny. So. Co- pick, look, go ahead and pick Kavat. I mean, he's got a better chance yeah, to guess. I, I've always liked Kavat, yeah. I mean, that, that, that dude's pretty cool. Man, he's in and out. He's like, you can't, he's like the thing that wouldn't leave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I had one of those I, in my shoe the other day. But I digress, guys. It's nicer what I thought you were about to say. <laughs> guys, it's been a great show tonight. I, w- I want to thank you, uh, Gray, Richard, Seth, Joey. I want to thank you folks that tune in and listen to us. I want to thank Hoobazoo Radio Network and iHeartRadio. Um, and guys, till next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-O-S-U